everybody. You are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church, for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, and I'm here with one of my regular co-hosts, Dan Allen. Hello. And that's a good Gregorian chant. (laughs) Um, Welcome. And today we are continuing our discussion on the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, We want to take a little bit of time to review kind of where we were last time. It's been a while um, since our last recording. I got caught up in a snowstorm up north and (laughs) couldn't get back. And anyways, so it's been a while since we got our... bears for dinner and what else? Cheez-Its? That's because we got... Okay, so we got (laughs) stuck in this hotel in the middle of the UP, which is the upper peninsula of Michigan. And the roads were so bad, the police like closed off anyone driving on them. So even you couldn't go get like food and people couldn't deliver you food so we had to eat like vending machine food for dinner and i'm as you can hear i'm sick from it still i think (laughs) from the gummy bears and cheeses or from the weather i don't know is yeah i'm not gonna complain about gummy bears so last time we talked about the method (laughs) yeah of the author and why that's important for reading scripture to begin with and so we kind of talked about uh, the method of ecclesiastes and how how we organize the material and all that impacts how we understand it. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to cover the message of the book, but we can do a quick review of the method yeah. itself. So one of the things you know at the beginning um, is that there's two voices in this book. Um, and Dan and I kind of explained some views there. Um, so whether you think that's the same person speaking throughout, um, just like referring to himself in the third person, or whether you believe there's sort of two characters or sort of like a frame narrator that then refers to this preacher in the be- in the middle of the book. You get these two voices throughout the book, and that kind of creates an effect of how you read the book. Um, some people think that those voices are um, not saying the same thing, and so you're supposed to read the preacher like critically, like he says a bunch of crazy stuff that we should probably uh, be careful of, and the narrator is helping us sort that out. Um, we take the view that the preacher is essentially saying he's in, he's in harmony with the narrator and that therefore we, he's mm-hmm. a trustworthy voice. But the reason a lot of folks, um, uh, he's a trustworthy voice that fits with what the narrator ultimately concludes. But the reason a lot of people find, um, are attracted to that, the idea that we should be critical of him is because he says, the preacher says a lot of things that we find a little bit stark and troubling some. Mm-hmm. And how, maybe, what's another piece of the methodology that helps yeah. us kind of sort through that? Well, I think even then, like, realizing some of the method is helpful for, under like, exactly. allowing him to do that. Right, Like, giving exactly. him the room to do that. Because it's, this is wisdom literature, and we talked about how it's different from Proverbs. Proverbial language is kind of short, pithy statements that are saying general truths. But the world is not always like that. It's a little bit messier uh, as well. And so he's dealing with these, a lot of the thoughts and experiences that we go after, to try to find gain in the world and he's giving his experience so like you see a lot of this uh this is like i've seen this i've saw applied my heart to this yeah but he's taking us intentionally to these dead ends where we we actually feel in our heart but sometimes don't say that out loud or yeah. sometimes haven't expressed it but if we can really listen to him and then feel and sit in the, the emptiness with him Mm-hmm. Then he's going to show us an answer, right? Uh, you know, throughout the book, right? And we'll we'll hit some of the those the message itself today, but yeah. So like we take the approach that the book is intentionally messy to show us well, this is where we actually live, but then for the sake of showing us the true answer, yeah, the, the sake of running to the dead, showing us the dead ends of 
of sort of what it looks like purely under the sun without considering yeah. God. So yeah. that we, our our eyes would bounce off of just merely the things that we see in this world to a more Godward perspective. Yeah, that's right. So he he so the book opens with sort of um, Vanny Vanny says the preacher the preacher being referenced there and then eventually in. I think it's 112, you get the preacher coming on the scene doing the search, as Dan said. It's a very, like, empirical search. He's observing things. Mm. Throughout the book, you get a lot of language like, I saw, and then I turned, and I saw, mm-hmm. and I, my heart considered this. And so it's very, like you said, very observational, very empirical, like a scientific mm-hmm. study. And the perspective that he takes throughout is what he describes as being under the sun. And so... It's very much like in some ways you could almost think of it as kind of like a secular perspective, mm-hmm. like just looking at things just as they appear apart from God in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, he's, he does reference God throughout, so it's almost like mm-hmm. a secular theism. It's a, yeah, but it's, a, it's an intentional, it's an intentional limit, yeah. limited perspective. Right. And that's what we're trying to argue is that it's he's he's doing this on purpose as a rhetorical device, as a as a teaching aid, so to say. Um, to get us to the proper yeah. conclusion, which I think we would say is is really great because reality is that those are th- these are thoughts that we think, right? But sometimes don't know what to do with, yeah. And so he's going to help us. So it's wisdom literature that's not playing games with platitudes. Yeah, this is wisdom literature. Like I love this book, and mm-hmm. a lot of people yeah. they love this book yeah. because they don't because oftentimes you can. I don't know. There's something at times where it's like, well, if I'm religious, I don't ask these sort of questions. Like that doesn't feel very pious Mm -hmm. to be able to like really wrestle with some of these things. And Ecclesiastes says, no, this is a book that's actually, it's actually going to raise some of the things that most of us are thinking, but Mm -hmm. like maybe are afraid to ask. Yeah. Like, I mean, mean, just a quick example, like what's the, you know, you get to a point in life and you're like, what's the, how am I even any better than just being born a dog? I wish I would just be born a dog. So at least they to, get their food given to them. Yeah, and you know, naps all day. He, yeah, and he kind of takes us into that thought process. Like, yeah, maybe there's maybe there isn't anything different than, he, than you and the beast and such. Yeah, um, for the sake of showing us there's there's there is something better to to think about. And the other piece too is that our care our our individual the preacher he is calls himself the preacher. Some translations might say like the teacher. Sometimes you get the the sage or the professor, different things like that. The word just means collector. So whether it's a collector of proverbs or a collector of a crowd, that's where the preacher idea comes from. Like they're collecting the people together to preach to them. Um, This preacher though is very much, it either is Solomon. So like historically, a lot of people would have said that the preacher was Solomon or um, it's at least someone who very much looks like Solomon, mm-hmm. which leads us at to... At least giving the persona. The persona, like Solomon deliberately, yeah. yeah. Not deceitful if it's if it's not Solomon, it's not that the author is being deceitful because he never actually says Solomon, mm-hmm. um, which is noteworthy. He never actually calls him Solomon. Um, but that is important because that shows us, like as he says throughout the book, um, that no one had wisdom that surpassed him or he was greater than all those before him, which means that if... If he cannot find ultimate um, like purpose and worth and gain in these things, mm-hmm. the person who had all the wisdom, the person who had all the, the women, the person who had all the money, who had all the access, if he can't do it, nobody can. Yeah. And so it universalizes the application of the book. So in short, right, yep. it's important to know that Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature because this particular type of wisdom literature, in a little bit distinction from Proverbs, is not as neat and clean mm-hmm. cut. It's messy, and it's meant to be that way. Mm-hmm. And so that help, that helps us um, read the book. Like if you didn't understand that Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature, and that it's going to be doing some messy stuff, mm-hmm. you'd have a really you'd 
be pretty perplexed by this yeah, book. Yeah, it's okay to actually read the book and feel kind of tossed around, right. kind of messed up in your mind and heart for a little bit. In fact, you might actually say, if you don't feel like that, yeah. then you might actually be reading it wrongly. Right. And if it feels so structured and neat and clean, right. then maybe you're actually missing it. Right. And that's actually a good point. Because some if, if, if you get into the literature of people who write on the book of Ecclesiastes, oftentimes you find people kind of steering in one of two camps. Um, in terms of how they deal with that messiness. Either they mm-hmm. see the messiness so much that then they say, well, the narrator on the outside, the guy who says, right. um, thus mm-hmm. says the preacher, the guy who quotes the preacher and at the end who talks about the preacher, they would say, okay, so that's a different person. They would agree with that position. But then they say, well, he's critiquing the preacher. We got to clean up the messiness mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. basically discarding the preacher in what he's saying. Um, because it's just so messy. Like mm-hmm. we need the narrator to come in and clean things mm-hmm. up. Then there's other people on the other hand, they, they, they see the messiness, but it's, or well, their work doesn't seem to relate to the messiness. Yeah. It cleans things up so much that everything the preacher says, like nothing about it is difficult. Yeah. Nothing mm-hmm. about it is troubling. Mm-hmm. Their interpretations kind of seem to do gymnastics to yeah. make it all feel neat. Mm-hmm. And then, and you read those people and you're like, well, that's not satisfying either because mm-hmm. he is saying stuff that's yeah. pretty, <laughs> it's pretty crazy sounding at times but mm-hmm. i think that's because the world we live in is crazy mm-hmm. and our experience in this fallen world is crazy at mm-hmm. times yeah so all right that's great yeah so let's, let's jump dig into, into the message. today and the message yep so that was a method now we get into the message what is the so the meth- method is how it communicates how the book communicates the message is the actual subject matter that the book is communicating its argument its themes and such mm-hmm. so um, one of the first things that is good to look at is this word vanity. So this, as we think about the message, in some ways you could say that... Well, the, why are you pulling that out? Like, yeah. <laughs> in some ways, <clears throat> you could say that the message of the book is vanity. Um, because at the beginning of the book, it says vanity of vanity says the preacher. All is vanity. At the end of the book, mm-hmm. he, he, that gets quoted again, yeah. vanity of vanities. And then throughout the book, that word is just repeated mm-hmm. so often. It's oftentimes the conclusion of mm-hmm. of different passages. So I found that all is vanity, mm-hmm. he'll conclude. And so it's quite obvious on just any sort of basic reading mm-hmm. that the book wants us to see all is vanity. Mm-hmm. Now, we're going to argue there's more to it than that, but yeah. that's at least a starting point. Yeah, so it's what you're saying is a little bit of a top and tail, starts the book and ends the book, but then all throughout it's used. Repetition. A lot. Yeah. So um, even just to give a little bit of numbers, it's 38 times throughout the book. Uh, it's at least one time in every chapter, except for chapter 10. There's none. 10, if you remember, is There's a lot of the poetry per- and proverbs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in almost every chapter, uh, it shows up, so 11 out of the 12. Uh, and it is somewhat top-heavy. So chapter 1 has six times, chapter 2 has eight times. Uh, but by far, it has more than any other book Yeah, the Old yeah. Testament, this word. So obviously... You're correct in yeah. saying we should figure out what this word means yeah. because and, he emphasizes so much. And not only the repetition, like that on its own is significant, but the way it's used, it's used as sort of like a thesis. Like yeah. He uses mm-hmm. it to conclude things. Yep. And it, as you said, top and tail, what you mean by that is like how the book is introduced and how it's concluded. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's this big, it's like these um, like caps yeah. on, the, on the end of, of the whole book. Yeah. So vanity, um, what are we dealing with? Is that a good translation? What do you, what do yeah. you just... What do you think about it? Yeah, I think vanity is a good translation. It's maybe a little archaic for some of us. So here, I'll like 
I'll actually archaic sounds like an old word. What does that mean? Yeah, so it's like old sounding words. Because <laughs> when we well, what do we normally when we when a lot of people hear the word vanity, what do they normally? What is kind of what uh, do you typically I think. think of? I mean, probably the first thought that comes to my mind is like vain, like prideful, or yeah. something. Yeah, like you're so vain or something. Yeah. I don't know if people use vanity like that. I'm not I sure. I, I don't know. Maybe like in like in I could see it being used in like no movies or like pop culture references, but probably yeah. not in regular speech. No. But, oh yeah, I don't even hear people use the word. <laughs> yeah. Itself. But the other way that it's used, which is probably not totally unrelated from that first use, is the idea um, like dictionary.com or something I just googled says the quality of being worth worthless or futile. Yeah. Futile, mm-hmm. and that's more how this how it's being used um, in this right. in this book. The idea yeah. that something is... Well, we'll get into a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So um, a good place to kind of go to kind of get your bearings is from the text itself. So um, the text will show us, the, the book of Ecclesiastes will show us like how he's using the words. So if you go to the beginning of the book, chapter one, verse two, it says, uh, vanities of vanities, says the preacher... Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. And then in verse three, this is there's this parallel phrase that then helps us understand what he means by vanity. He says, what does man gain by all his toil at which he toils under the sun? And if you were to take that question and transform it into a statement, the idea is he gains nothing. In other mm-hmm. words, what does it mean for something to be vanity? According to verse three, it's this idea that nothing is ultimately gained. Um, you can toil at things and what do you ultimately get for it? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. It's gainless. Um, so that's what he means by vanity. It's these worthless, in that sense, pointless, mm-hmm. um, futile is a good word. Um, yeah. And maybe I'll pull up a definition of futility because I feel like that's a helpful. Um, I used to have a definition thing on my Mac, but with the new Mac, they got rid of it. Um, the quality or state of being futile, uselessness, um, that's not as helpful as I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But well, okay. the, the futile being the idea that something isn't gained. It doesn't actually prove to uh, – like yeah. like when Paul says in Galatians 2, he says, if we were saved by our works, then Christ's death is futile. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's vanity. It's pointless. That's a, that's a helpful way to think about it. Like yeah. if I could save myself, then why would Jesus have to die? Mm-hmm. Um, you don't. Act, he didn't. Wouldn't have actually have gained anything because I'd have to do it myself. Mm-hmm. And that's similar to how he what he's saying here. He's saying, mm-hmm. "What do you gain? You don't gain anything. Mm-hmm. It, it, you, there's nothing to be gained." And there's that opening poem where he talks about how the the sea flow, the rivers flow into the sea, and the sea's never full. The wind goes on their circuit. The sun rises and it sets. It rises and sets. The whole world mm-hmm. just keeps revolving on its cycle, and ultimately nothing is gained because it keeps the hamster wheel just keeps going. Mm-hmm. It's that picture of running on a hamster wheel where you're never actually getting anywhere. Yeah. So you'll find different translations use different words to for like for this. Some will use vanity, futile. Yeah. Uh, Basically, what we're dealing with though is this: it, the word itself is vapor. So yeah. it's so he's actually using like a picture, a metaphor. Yeah, yeah. And some are translating it as vanity. Yeah. Um, so the word itself, like that's what it yes, literally means. Yeah, yeah. Vapor, so you could translate it as just vapor and just leave it as that. To every time he says it, it's kind of trying to take you to this picture, yeah. which obviously has a meaning behind it, yeah. which may be vanity or futile. Yeah. He doesn't literally mean yes. vapor, but the idea is it's not like mm-hmm. he's saying 
these things are actually yeah. literally physically vapor. That's right. But the vapor is is the metaphor that yeah. is being used. Yeah, yeah, he's saying all of life is like vapor in the sense of vapor. It's you know there for a second, and you try to grab it, and it's it's gone. It's nothing. Like it's, there's, I nothing can't grasped. actually hold it. It's gone. It's, yeah. Um, and at times, it seems almost that he uses the <laughs> brevity. Or, so vapor can in itself have a wider range than mm-hmm. some of these words, and yeah. so. And so part of that is like the other themes in the book get caught up into this idea like mm-hmm. you're alluding to. There's the idea of brevity. Things are – the brevity of life is like shows the, the futility. Yeah. Um, or later in the book, he'll emphasize more the idea of enigma or like mm-hmm. the unknowability. Like nothing is to be gained in terms of understanding. Like I can't mm-hmm. gain – the mm-hmm. life is so messy and I want to try to figure out the patterns. I want to figure out why things are the way they are. And I can't gain understanding, vanity, futility, yeah. nothing gained. Mm-hmm. But there's different flavors that it takes – yeah throughout the book and and this word is actually a word that can um at times it's used in the old testament to refer to idols um Mm -hmm. right so the idea of the worthlessness of idols they can't save they can't hear they can't Mm -hmm. speak Mm -hmm. it's just a block of wood or a block of stone yeah so that's helpful to um and it may be it may be that Ecclesiastes is using this word mm-hmm. because the vanities that he's unpacking, the different things that ultimately prove vanity, can function for us as idols. Yeah. That may be the mm-hmm. case. It may not be. Yeah. But. Well, because c- you could, it would be in the sense of what do you gain by trying to find by worshiping gain this thing. in this yeah. world? Yeah. You, you, that's like vapor. What do you gain by going after that? To do that is to go after idols. So. Are you good on that word? Um, we, let me do on one other. That was similar to it. If you want to, right, I'll come you back. You might be actually doing this. Are you saying vanity? Or I was going to do the striving after wind. Yeah. In verse 14? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. that's, that's right? what I was, what okay. I was going. Yep. Yeah. Because this is a similar, it's a metaphor really getting at the very same thing here. Yep. Um, or at least close to it. So 114, I've seen everything that's done in the sun and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. So it's that parallel phrase again yep. that indicates to us like... And the way that's used throughout the book, this isn't the only case, it's just mm-hmm. a good example mm-hmm. first, is that striving after wind gets paralleled to vanity, yeah. which means that that's a helpful way to think about vanity is mm-hmm. this idea of striving after yeah. wind. The word wind there is a different word than vanity. Mm-hmm. So vanity itself could be translated wind or smoke or vapor. Yeah. But then he says a striving after wind. What, mm-hmm. yeah. Explain so that. There, I mean, there again, because you, you, this is going, going back to the method, like we're in... Um, Wisdom literature, which is you can expect some word pictures here. Yep. And so you should stop and think about the word picture. Like, what does it look like to strive after wind? I mean, think about like going down to the lake and seeing a guy with like a net and a huge net, and he's running around. And he's like, "What?" You ask him what he's doing. He's like, "I'm I'm chasing the wind. I'm going to catch it." Or yeah, you should be like, "Dude." Something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you want me? You want me to call for help for you? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you just know you can't go catch wind, right? So like, and that's what he's talking about here. In uh, I've seen everything done under the sun, and behold, this is what it's like. Mm-hmm. It, it'd be like chasing after the wind, right? And it slips right through your fingers. Yep. Nothing is ultimately gained. You're chasing after the wind, and you go to grab it, and yep. what well, you can't grab wind is yeah. right through your fingers. That's right. And so it all kind of plays into that that idea yeah. of as so so let's blend in methodology with message here is his point is as he does these sort of empirical searches I saw I saw mm-hmm. I observed my heart went after these things his point is that at the end of all of these he mm-hmm. concludes they were vanity mm-hmm. 
a striving after wind. I went after it. I strove after it. And it was just striving after wind right through my fingers. I wasn't able to gain what something that I was after there. Mm -hmm. So um, are you good on that? Yep. Okay. Let's talk about some themes then. As he then explores this theme of vanity, the striving after wind, as he Mm -hmm. looks at different things, what are some of the areas that he looks to the sort of sub, some of the subjects throughout the book? Yeah. So like you're talking about kind of the structure of the book a little bit then. So like he looks, I mean, when he first starts on the ground search, he's going to start off with um, like pleasure. Mm -hmm. So with like lots of, (coughs) lots of things, uh, whatever my heart, wanted he did he didn't withhold his heart from any of it so he's, he sought out pleasure as much as he could find and again he ends with the same idea this is in chapter two uh it all was vanity and a striving after wind so the exact yeah. same thing nothing to be gained and the, what's what's important to hear is sometimes um sometimes folks even there's even translations that will translate vanity as meaningless mm-hmm. um i think like the niv and the N, maybe yeah. the nlt um and I don't personally think that's the best translation because I think it's a, there's a common way that we approach this book, which is that, for example, as he pursues pleasure, mm-hmm. the idea that we have is, which I don't think is totally correct, is that he was trying to find meaning in those things. Now, there's some truth to that, mm-hmm. but it's the idea of like he wants to find meaning there and it's a very like sort of existential way of approaching it. Um, he doesn't say though, like at the end of these things, he doesn't say that these things didn't have any value to mm-hmm. them. Um, so he does say like, I gained pleasure and like pleasure isn't bad. Mm-hmm. Pleasure can be good when yeah. it's sought right. For he's actually going to tell us later. That yeah. To pursue, it's, to have, it's good. enjoy things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like work. He doesn't say when he tries to pursue toil. So we're getting ahead of ourselves here. He doesn't mm-hmm. say, well, therefore there's no meaning to mm-hmm. it at all. Mm-hmm. He says as an ultimate, when he pursues it as an ultimate, it's vanity. Yeah. That's why I think it's, it's help. The nuance I is agree. helpful because he yeah. says he will say throughout the book, one of the key themes is that there's relative value in most of these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so pleasure has, is good. It has mm-hmm. relative value and work has relative value yeah. and wisdom has, re- he says wisdom is better than folly. Mm-hmm. So when he pursues wisdom, it's better. And yet he can also say that wisdom itself is vanity mm-hmm. when he pursues it as the ultimate, when he looks for it to mm-hmm. actually be the, the substance of full gain in life mm-hmm. of, of what's going to bring purpose and, and provide a solution to things. That's when it becomes vanity. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's important to say like when he looks at pleasure, he never says, he never actually like really tells us why it was vanity. He just says it was vanity because at the end of the day, like, okay, pleasure is good and it's enjoyable, but like, okay, what, so what does it matter? So you got some enjoyment. Mm-hmm. So what? It's, it just, it's mm-hmm. fleeting. It's gone. Mm-hmm. What are some other themes that he looks at? Um, yeah. Then he goes into um, wisdom. He'll talk about toil. Talk so about work. maybe controlling the world. Trying to stuff. control things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, trying to find order to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he finds that all of these things are vanity. He also looks at justice and equity. Mm-hmm. Like he wants to find righteousness in the world. He Like why is there oppression? Mm-hmm. Relationships. Yep, like companionship, mm-hmm. family. Um, he looks to our yeah, idea of, we said this a little bit before, but human endeavor and scheming. And in all of these mm-hmm. themes, um, like he says at the beginning of the book, he looks at the unhappy business that God has given man mm-hmm. under the sun. You get this, you get this sort of picture of that's a phrase that's repeated. The unhappy business is mm-hmm. sort of like God's providence from this under the sun perspective, the lot that we have. He looks mm-hmm. at all these different areas, and at the end of the day, in each of these cases, when he looks to them as an ultimate, he finds them to be vanity. And one of the things that is 
that's almost always standing um, behind the vanity as sort of the grounds for vanity is death. Mm-hmm. So things can be, right. he can have other reasons and explanations for why things are vanity. But at the end of the day, um, no matter what, even no matter how you want to try to escape something being vanity, um, there's always death there to squash it. So if nothing else squashes it, death will come along and squash it. And his point being like, if you're going to die at the end of the day, no matter how much wisdom you have, you're going to die just like the fool. Mm-hmm. What does your wisdom gain you ultimately? It only gains you something like wisdom gained you something, but only gained you something during your life and now you're dead. Yeah. Or for toil, you gain something from your toil, great. Or pleasure, great. But then you die. And and who cares after that point? Um, Leo Tolstoy um, has this quote that I feel like really reflects that idea. And he said this, he says, um, he says, Leo Tolstoy says, my question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus, Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? Mm -hmm. Is there any Mm -hmm. meaning in my life that the inevitable death, the inevitable Mm -hmm. rendezvous we all have with death, that does not, that's not destroyed by that? Mm -hmm. Um, And Ecclesiastes says it's all destroyed. From from that perspective, you Mm -hmm. are done. Like it is a airtight case. Mm -hmm. It's 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 van. Everything is vanity. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and you mentioned the idea of the fact that it happened, like, whether you're wise or foolish, it happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. So he brings up this theme that the same event happens to all people, yeah. both in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 8, chapter 9. And he just keeps hammering this note, like, it death. doesn't matter the same event being death. how you live, you're yeah. still going to die, no matter who you are, no yep. matter what you think. Uh, and another piece kind of that goes along with this is you might, you might think, okay, fine, I'm going to die, um, but at least I'll do some really good cool things on this life and then you know my name will live on yep. and i'll be remembered and that too he kind of just says no actually no you'll be uh, forgotten he, he opens up the book you're going to be forgotten nobody's going to remember you and uh, there's nothing new it's not you're not going to do anything like in this generation that suddenly the the rest of the world is going to think wow that they really like this guy was amazing right no you're just like everybody else you're one in a needle in a haystack um, and I remember, uh, I remember uh, I, like preaching through the first chapter and uh, using the illustration of like having people stand up. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, but like I do yeah. just having people sit down if you, uh, or only remain standing if you can name, um, a great, it, great, great grandparent. And then if you can name a great, great grandparent, which I think, I think the number was 16 or something. Everybody has 16. Great, great grandparents. Great, great grandparents. Yeah. And like most of us can't remember, like. <laughs> remember a single name just the name yeah we probably all had some people that did some pretty cool things in our family yeah but just a couple generations and nothing yeah like that's that is just like a drop in the bucket it hits our our pride pretty hard yeah and and yet like this is where i think the understanding this use of vanity is helpful because he still wants us to be able to look at the the world and everything and say you're right it is vapor 
and yet I can still find joy. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to help us find that, but not just to, to dismiss the vaporness of it. Yeah. But say, no, you're right. It is. Right. Which gets us to kind of the point of all this. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up there. Dan and I continued that conversation, but we'll go ahead and uh, publish part two of that conversation next week. We'll wrap things up there for today. And next week, then, uh, we'll go ahead and release the rest of that conversation where we go from discussing this theme of vanity, hevel, um, that we talked about today and and look at why does the book actually raise that? Where is it trying to take us as it exposes us uh, to the, the vanities of life? All right, until next time. Okay.